Hi, welcome to St Ninian's Sermons Podcasts. My name's Stuart, I'm the minister at St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse in Scotland. We are an ecumenical partnership between the United Reformed Church and the Church of Scotland, and that means we reflect both traditions in our work and worship. You can find us on the web, on Facebook, at St Ninian's Church Stonehouse, and on the website at saint-ninians-stonehouse.org.uk. lied about him because they knew the truth. They nailed an innocent man to the cross because he threatened their status and their position and their authority. They made up the charges because he exposed their greed and their corruption and their abuse. When power had been threatened, the system had won. But when all seemed lost, when everything seemed as though it was over, when they had almost given up, something happened that would change everything. Forever. Welcome to St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. My name is Stuart. I get to be the minister here. Over the past weeks, many people have said how much they have enjoyed seeing and hearing from a variety of people in these services. They've made some Great suggestions about how we could do more of that, include more people, see more of our friends. But I don't want to do that. So today, mine is the only voice that you'll hear. All the other voices will be excluded. There'll be no variety, no accents, no women, no other men. Why? Well, because I have the power to make that decision. The power to include or exclude So let's worship God. We read from Matthew chapter 28 verses 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. Make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, to the end of the age. We're back with Matthew's story of Jesus, and we'll be with this book of the Bible for quite a while now. So it's strange that we start at the end. But then sometimes the best way to understand something is to start at the end and work backwards. Looking at what the story all leads to might help us to understand some of the rest of it. All the clues, all the pieces that fit together to make this last scene where the disciples end up pretty much where it all started. Back on a mountain in Galilee. I love how they got there. Jesus told the women, and the women told the men, twice, and the men do what they're told. In Matthew's version of the story, the disciples haven't met the risen Jesus yet. It was the women who met him at the tomb on Easter morning, not the men. The men just have to take the women's word for it. So they go home as instructed, back to Galilee, back to where it all started. 
back to the place that they know best. The place they're from, the place they grew up, the place where they learned their trades, the place where everybody knows them. Back to where they belong, where nobody notices their accent, where everyone already knows that they're followers of Jesus. And they're to meet Jesus on a mountain, probably the same mountain that Jesus delivered his famous Sermon on the Mount, way back at the start of Matthew's story. It's the place where Jesus set out his agenda, his manifesto, the way that he thought things should be. It's known as the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor, and the sick, and the marginalised. God loves everyone, but he has a special concern for the poor, and the sick, and the marginalised. Because a society is never at peace, never complete, never just and right, until everyone's included. Until everyone's looked after. Until everyone is equal. The 11 remaining disciples are gathered on that same spot, wondering, remembering, probably thinking about well, the cost of that manifesto. Taking on the system cost Jesus his life, because people with power and privilege will do just about anything to keep it. And if Jesus get nailed to a cross, then do I want any part in that? Is this all just a waste of time? We saw him crucified. We saw him laid in a tomb. We saw him dead and buried. And now this. We want to believe the women, but really? What if Jesus doesn't show up? What then? But he does show up. Jesus appears, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some still doubted. I'm not sure that for me there are any more comforting words in the Bible than that. They worshipped him, but some still doubted. Even when they're face to face with the risen Christ, some of them still aren't sure. I know that feeling. I think we all know that feeling. I'm here. I'm joining in because I know that something important is happening, but I'm not completely sure what it is. And I'm even less sure that, well, I'm supposed to be here. And in the middle of all those mixed emotions, Jesus gives them a job. Go. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Wait, what? Make disciples of all nations? Like, all of them? We've never been any further than Jerusalem. How can we go to all those places? How can we make such a big change? Their doubts must have been overwhelming. It's such a massive task. You lot, all 11 of you and the women, go. Go and change the world. I know you don't quite get it. And I know that you're not completely sure. But go anyway. And I'll send help. God's mission has always been to love and serve and bless the world. Why wouldn't it be? He made it. God spoke the world into being. Let there be. And there was. And it was good. All of it. Not some of it. Not part of it. But all of it. We are in a time like no other. 
But the reality is that the coronavirus pandemic has not been the same for all of us. It's disproportionately affected the old and the poor and the sick and the marginalised. Coronavirus has not only exposed the weakness in our health, it's completely exposed the cracks in our society. It turns out that poverty kills, unemployment kills, lack of education kills, racism kills. And let's not for a moment pretend that this has nothing to do with us. Here in Stonehouse, we live 20 minutes from the city of Glasgow. Glasgow was the second city of the empire. It's a city that was built on slavery. A city whose streets still bear the names of the places our forefathers invaded and enslaved in the name of profit. Streets like Jamaica Street, Virginia Place, and the famous Kingston Bridge. These are places where cotton and sugar and tobacco were grown by slaves and transported back here into America on ships that had been filled with human cargo, forced from their homes in East Africa and the West Indies into slavery. Our forefathers travelled the globe. They conquered it, stripping the natural resources everywhere they went, and they called it civilization. We've rebranded it as the Commonwealth, but the wealth wasn't shared. The wealth came here. That was built on the lie that some people are worth less than others. But that was long ago, and it wasn't us. That's how the argument goes, isn't it? The problem is that once you treat any group of people differently, you ingrain that lie into your culture, into the law, into art and literature and songs and nursery rhymes, even into the church and language itself. And when that happens, the power of the lie will persist. I did it earlier. In this sermon, the women told them twice and the men believed them. And that line made you smile because it's a stereotype, it's a joke. Men don't ever ask for directions and women, well, what do they know? And that's how it works. We smile because it's funny, but it's not funny. It's insidious, it's sneaky, it's pervasive. It's that same lie that allowed domestic violence not to be treated as a real crime until recently. It's the lie that means rape and sexual assault are the least likely of crimes to be successfully prosecuted. And it's so, so hard to break free of. And we're still not there yet. To solve anything, the first step is admitting that we have a problem. Until that happens, how can we ever start to get better? So here goes. My name is Stuart. And I have a problem. I am part of the problem. Unless we own that problem, put our hand up to our part in it, unless we confront our unconscious or unwitting or unthinking involvement in it, that I benefit from racism and sexism and all kinds of prejudice and discrimination, then how can we change? I don't want to be a racist. I don't want to be sexist. I don't want to be homophobic. 
don't want to live in a world where I have more opportunities, where my sons are 15 times less likely to be stopped by the police, where I'm less likely to go to prison, I'm less likely to get sick or be unemployed or be the victim of violence or be homeless or be poor. Because I'm a white man. Just like I can choose to include or exclude people in worship. I don't want to live in a world that says that's okay. I don't want to live in a world that is structured to make sure that people like me are in charge and benefit most and have better health and more money are safer just because of the colour of my skin or my gender or my sexual orientation or even my religion. 2,000 years ago on a hillside in Galilee, Jesus set out the mission of God to love and save and bless the world. All of it. The ending of Matthew's story is really just the beginning. Go, he tells them. Go and make the world a better place. Yes, you. The fishermen with trust issues. You. The ones who even now still doubt. You. Those women who will be written out of the story by the men. You. Go. Go, all of you. Go and help the poor and the sick and the marginalised. Work out who that is in each community and change the things that exclude them. Get rid of the things that keep them down. Remove the things that kill their spirit and stop doing the things that take their lives. This passage we have read is known as the Great Commission. Jesus sends his friends out to teach people what he has taught them. And the lesson is very, very simple. Love one another. Love one another the way that God has loved you. But he gives them something to do. Something to show them what that looks like. It's a practice, a practice we call baptism. We pour water on someone's head. And it's a symbol. It shows that they have died to who they have been and are reborn to a different kind of life. And that happens through a blessing being poured out on them. We need help to be different. It's not enough for me to just see it. It's not even enough for me to just want it. I need help. I need to learn. I need to confront my fears and prejudices and reshape my world. And every time we pour out that water of baptism, we remind ourselves of that. We do it because Jesus said we should. Even when we weren't sure. Even when we were full of doubts. And because we weren't sure, Jesus reminds us that the Holy Spirit will be with us always. I have no idea how that works. None. I've read books about it. I've listened to lectures about it, I've written essays about it, I've even preached sermons about it, but I don't really understand it. It's a mystery. I know that it works. I've seen it and I've felt it. But I don't understand it. And I'm okay with that. Because I'm glad that it works. And I need all the help that I can get. I think we all do. To get better at something, we practice. We start 
something and we're not very good at it. We make mistakes, we get frustrated and we're tempted to give up and just forget it. It's just too hard. As we continue to practice, we improve. We learn from others who are better at it than us. And eventually, after a long, long time, it becomes second nature. And then it becomes who we are. It's just something we do. Practice is also the thing when you gather together and do stuff. Do it in a way that will remind you of something. In this case, the practice of baptism. We do it because it reminds us of who Jesus is. We do it because we are in relationship with him. So Jesus tells us to baptise in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Because it reminds us that goodness is relational. We baptise in public together to remind us that we're all part of that relationship. The poem at the start of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, it tells it beautifully. In the beginning God spoke the world into being. Let there be light. And there was light. And it was good. Light's the only thing that's created good in and of itself. Everything else that was created relates to the light and to everything else that was created. It's only good when it's in right relationship with all other things. So we practice being in relationship to each other. Because that's what Jesus showed us. And that's what he asks us to bring to others. Do what I've commanded you, Jesus tells us. And his only commandment, love God and love one another. As I have loved you. That was a love that was willing to die for justice and righteousness. To break open the system of oppression. So go. Go and leave behind all that you know. All the comfort and privilege and certainty and security and go. Go and change the world one relationship at a time. Go and love your neighbour. Go and practice justice and mercy. Go and transform the lives of the poor and the sick and the marginalised. Go. You. Yes, you. With all your doubts and all your fears. Just like mine. Go. Go and make disciples of all nations. This world can make us doubt God. When we see the starving child or the homeless man. When we imagine the plight of the abused woman or the fleeing refugee. Or the man killed by someone who was supposed to protect him. This world can make us doubt, Lord. This world can make us tired. When the news is 24-7 of the plight and pain of poverty. When leaders say and do what we've reprimanded our children for. When the needs keep on coming and the challenges keep on challenging. This world can make us tired, Lord. But what can this world make us learn? When there are naked to be clothed, the imprisoned who should be set free, when there are thirsty people who need water, what can this world make us learn, Lord?
Perhaps this world can help us to learn love. When the outcast is left isolated, when the infirm are forgotten, when the anxious are misunderstood, this world can make us love, Lord. So teach us then, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Teach us all to go, to preach the good news, to be the good news with love and courage and service to you. Amen. So go. Go with God's blessing to be disciples. And to make disciples. Not knowing all the answers. Not promising to give all the answers. But content to know and to confirm in others that God is here. In the midst of all the certainty and doubt that is our human life. So may the grace of God be with you, the love of Jesus, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, today and forever. Amen. In the beginning, God gathered God's self together to create the universe, fashioning with goodness the sky with its galaxies and constellations, its sun and its moons, its light and darkness. And then God created the earth, with its mountains and valleys, its oceans and streams, its continents separated by vast seas and deserts, its forests and ice caps, and plains of fertile land. And God loved that beautiful world so much, he wanted to share it. So he created animals for the hills and plains, and the sky and the sea for above and below the earth, each with a place and largely a purpose. And then, with a flourishing involving dust and breath, God created human beings who would care for all of creation, for all that God had made, and who would be co-workers with God in nurturing and sustaining creation. God saw that it was good and delighted in all of it. And that was the beginning. And so it is now. God delights in us, desiring nothing more than relationship inviting us to be part of the divine dance, the dance of creator, redeemer, sustainer. For in that dance we discover compassion that moves us to care for creation. In that dance we discover anger that fuels us to root out injustice. And in that dance we discover freedom, made up of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, the fruits of God-control the elements of the dance that sustain the world. God's laughter and delight and tears and compassion form the rhythm that draws us in and sends us out to dance. Don't forget you can find us on Facebook at St Ninian's Church Stonehouse and on our website saint-ninians-stonehouse.org.uk We'd love to hear from you so please leave a comment here on anchor.fm 
or on the website or on the Facebook page. Thanks for listening.